Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and on the other line, from the Washington Post, Ben Golliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. We've got a lot of playoff talk, a lot of coaching changes, executive changes to, to get into. Uh, but first, I think I need to just say, say something very simply. Wouldn't okay. you agree that love is the most powerful drug there is? And the reason why I bring this up, you know, <laughs> late last night, my DM uh, Instagram notifications just start going absolutely nuts. Oh, where is this going? So my first worry was like, uh-oh, the bots are after me. Like, what's happening? No, it turns out our good friend of the podcast, Kevin Funk, you know, our super fan, uh, yep. is just blasting my in- my Instagram direct messages. And I was like, oh, boy. This guy's got to be drunk. He might have to. He maybe he's on some bath salts. Like there's something going on here, because <laughs> it's too late in the night for him to be sending me all this stuff out of the blue. It turns out, Andrew, he was beseeching me not to begin this very podcast with a long rambling take on Magic Johnson's exit. And Andrew, I gotta say, that hit home because for the last 48 hours, I've been honing a comparison between Magic Johnson and Jeb Bush that I was really looking forward to unfurl. <laughs> But he's just going message after message after message telling me you can't start with magic. So I start to dig into what he's saying. And it turns out, Andrew, it wasn't drugs. It wasn't mind-altering substances. It was the love of Dirk Nowitzki. And Kevin Funk hopped up on his high horse like Lil Nas X, and he made the case that everyone else is talking about Dwayne Wade's One Last Dance, Magic Johnson's nonsense move, and that what we should really do is appreciate a Tim Duncan-like figure in NBA history in Dirk Nowitzki and give him a few minutes of uh, recognition for an incredible career, maybe a little bit of jubilation uh, for what was a pretty awesome night there in Dallas, you know, his last home game, and then also maybe a little legacy talk about what Dirk means to the game I think we owe it to Kevin. I mean, I'm not going to encourage everyone to blast my DMs like he did, but Andrew, I think he had a point. Um, I have mixed feelings about leading the show with Dirk Nowitzki after two weeks of extensive tributes to Dirk and Wade, all of which were great, but the NBA playoffs are here. Um, I do like... The magic Jeb Bush thing works for me. I don't want you to explain any more of what you were (laughs) thinking there, but I could absolutely see magic adding an exclamation point to his name at some point. So it's magic exclamation point. Uh, I think that would work with the public persona that he's been cultivating. Didn't he have a daytime um, talk show called magic and like exclamation point? I think he might have. I think at some point along the way that that has fit. Um, But as far as Dirk is considered, um, I don't know. What do you want to say? Like he's great. Yeah. I I mean, look, he's very easy to like. I mean, his Q scores through the roof. He's his uh, reputation has aged very gracefully because he got that title. I think the only thing that I really wanted to get off my chest was I was thinking back to that 2011 finals. That was the first finals I ever covered. And I was Mm -hmm. just thinking last night, man, I wish I had been a little bit older to really appreciate what was happening because I'm pretty sure at every single stage of that uh, finals run, I picked against the Mavericks. Like I'm pretty sure I picked against them in the first round, the second round, the conference finals, and the finals. As the finals was unfolding, 
I was so like drawn into the vortex of like Greg Doyle versus LeBron James, like shrinking from the moment and all that stuff that I really wasn't even expending very much mental energy on what the Mavericks had been doing to find success or what Dirk had been doing to sort of lift them through all of this. And I think if I had been five years older, I would have just, you know, basically turned into Rob Mahoney and just written like 35,000 gushing words of Dirk praise. And so it's <laughs> it's probably better for Rob and for me and for the entire world that that didn't happen. But I do, yeah. I do think he's got a special place in the NBA. Well, and I also think if you're, I mean, it does fit well with the playoffs. I, I was unfair actually a minute ago when I was ready to dismiss this out of hand because if you're thinking about what this stuff can mean, Dirk is sort of the ultimate example. When you think about how important that title was to the way we think about him, and it was. I mean, that was probably the coolest 10-day stretch of playoff basketball of my lifetime because of what it meant to Dirk and also partly, if we're being honest, because of how loathe that Miami Heat team was. Right. You and you love the craziness though. You love the unexpected twists and turns and that's what that series was, right? Well, yeah, and Dirk had been coming up huge for about 6 weeks at that point and to see him continue to build on it, he got sick and was was able to fight through that. I mean, it was incredible. And the uh, that entire Mavericks team was incredible also. I mean, people forget what a perfect fit that was with Sean Marion's defense hiding some of Dirk's weaknesses. Tyson Chandler was out of his mind during that playoff run and I think gets forgotten too often when we talk about that Mavs team. So like Great all around, it was really, really cool. And um, as far as Dirk's broader trajectory in the NBA, I think the one thing that has kind of frustrated me about the retirement festivities surrounding Dirk is um, when we talk about his career, I think a lot of people are a little bit dismissive of some of the criticisms he dealt with early on. And I think the coolest thing about Dirk to me is that some of those questions and some of those criticisms were fair. And he then had to kind of work through that midway through his career to get where he needed to go. And and I, I think it's sort of short changes the breakthrough and how cool his accomplishments really were to pretend that he wasn't kind of punked by Steven Jackson in 2007. And and there were times when he was able to, you could sort of push him around and get the better of him. And, um, and watching him come through tougher, both physically and mentally and, and come through in 2010, uh, 2011, it was, like that's one of the coolest basketball stories of my lifetime, and and always will be. So, I no think question. that's part of what I love about it. I mean, his title was sweeter because of all of that stuff, right? I think he appreciated it more. I think Mark Cuban was dragging the trophy into the bathroom with him for the exact same reason. He appreciated it more because of uh, everything that Dirk had to face. A lot of those stigmas uh, were long lasting, and some of them were bigger than Dirk, right? You know, uh, opinions yeah. of international players, uh, opinions of outside shooting big men, you know, guys who aren't going down there to do the dirty work, opinions of guys who, um, you know, maybe they're not going to the basket every single time. So, okay, now does that make them soft in late game moments? And I think he answered basically all of those questions. Uh, Now all these memories are flooding back. Like I'm just... I'm just picturing myself gawking at just the concept of J.J. Barea in that finals. I'm picturing myself just trying to wrap my mind around Jason Kidd's relevance 
Sean Marion's voice might have been the weirdest thing. I mean, for me, like the first time kind of being around that team, is, is that his real voice? Like, is that really, or is this yeah, like an act? It doesn't fit his body whatsoever. <laughs> his voice and his jump shot was, uh, they, both of them were curveballs. So this is what I'm saying. I was just like this young whippersnapper, my head in the clouds, missing the real story, which was Dirk Nowitzki's greatness. And um, it was such a shame the way they kind of handled the post-title aftermath. They outsmarted themselves. I mean, like you mentioned, Chandler was so important. Letting him go was was not the right move. And, you know, it, it kind of fell apart in ugly fashion. So I feel bad for him. But I think ultimately Dirk's legacy is going to be phenomenal because when you look at oh, the people absolutely. who he has directly influenced, like I see so much Dirk in KD. I see so much Dirk in Chris Apps Porzingis. You're going to have this teammate connection between him and Luca. So you're talking about three guys who are going to be carrying the league here for the next 5, 10, 15 years, all of whom we can trace right back to Dirk. And on top of that, all the players who aren't in the NBA because they they don't stretch the floor at that four spot and they can't really stay on the court anymore, be big time impact players. All of those guys kind of owe their life, their, their lot in life to Dirk Nowitzki's impact on the game, the three-point shooting, the spread, the, the power of gravity and being able to pull multiple defenders to the perimeter and opening things up around the basket and on the weak side, all of that stuff, uh, Dirk was instrumental in a, a true transformative figure. And you know, I no don't want to, I don't want to get Gabby mad. Right. But I think if we're saying who's going to impact the game more going forward, Dirk or Wade, I think you had a pretty strong case that it's Dirk. Well, it's actually a really interesting conversation because if you're asking who was the better player I would maybe say Wade. Peak Wade was really, 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 really good. And yet, who was the more revolutionary player? There's not a question that it was Dirk. I mean, Dirk has changed the entire league, and he's changed the way we think about how you can win at the highest levels. He changed his position. And when I go back to to, when I'm talking about some of the criticisms he faced, I need to be clear. A lot of the criticisms he faced were total bullshit. Um, but I think when you look at his story over the course of 20 years, and particularly his first 10 years, it's kind of a fascinating balance between stuff he had to figure out and then also stuff that we had to figure out in terms of how you use a guy like that and, and whether you can win with a guy like that. And basically a power forward, seven feet tall, orbiting the three-point line and, and killing people from the perimeter. Like... A lot of people just couldn't wrap their head around that kind of archetype uh, as a superstar. And so what he's done is not only dominate, but make that normal for the next 50 years of basketball. And that's just crazy to think about. And then that's before you look at who he is off the court and just in interviews and stuff like that. I mean, I've talked to him a couple times and he's just awesome and, and is good to just about everybody. And now we're turning this into the gushing that I wanted to avoid, but like he's one of the cooler figures in 30 years. Yeah. I mean, let your guard down, man. Open your heart. This is what it's all about. I love hearing this. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot there. I mean, I think back to like KD, he's got that one, that one step fall away shot. Now he was working on it in warmups the other night in LA. I mean, it's picture perfect Dirk shot. You know what I mean? It's clear that, uh, a guy who could go down as one of the top three or four scorers in NBA history is patterning himself after this revolutionary figure who you just, who just described. I think the coolest yeah. moment of, uh, this week with Dirk though, was the entrance to the arena 
I don't know if you saw that, the hundreds of employees all lined up, chanting his name, using their phones to take pictures of him walking in. He's giving them all high fives and basically going out of his way to basically, you know, say hi or or welcome all of them before that game. How many yeah. players really get that kind of love? You know, there's a few. I think Wade gets that kind of love in Miami. Uh, Braun will probably get that kind of love in Cleveland if he decides to retire there. But how many other guys are sort of that uh, Pied Piper type personality in, in their home city? Not many. Well, and, not many. And here's the thing. And and where that love originates is just like Dirk on a daily basis just kind of treats people really well. I mean, and I'm, that's kind of what I'm trying to convey is when I sat down and talked to him, it's like he doesn't need to be candid with me and he doesn't need to put thought into what he was saying. So he me, treats you he, better than I do is what you're saying? Exactly. Dirk treats me much better than Ben Golliver does. And also, <laughs> I mean, if we go back to the to the All-Star game this winter, uh, I remember after all the media had cleared out and all the players had done their kind of perfunctory availability, five, 10 minutes, whatever, Dirk was kind of hanging out and then took a picture with 10 or 15 Mavs staffers who were there, including like longtime beat writers and just like because it was his last all-star game and just took this funny photo with them. And that's the type of stuff that like there's not another superstar who does stuff like that. And um, and I think that's why you saw so many people coming out of the woodwork to just talk about how awesome this dude was. And um, and it was cool to see the love he got kind of everywhere he went, regardless of whether he wanted it or, or not. See what happens when you don't just reflexively argue with me and you actually go along with the show for once. We have this beautiful tribute <laughs> to an NBA legend who actually deserves it. Okay, we can get on with whatever it was that you wanted to talk about, whatever petty little business you had on your agenda. I'm glad we got the important stuff out of the way. Thank you for humoring me and our guy, Kevin Fong. Yes. Well, I, actually, I do have one other question here that just came to mind. Um, if you could root for one superstar, would you rather root for Dirk, Dwayne Wade, or Tim Duncan? Oh, Tim Duncan. Come on. That's easy. That's easy. I mean, uh, is it? I, yeah, for me, it is. How about you? <sighs> well... It's hard to choose between Wade and Dirk because both their careers were really, really cool and happened just about perfectly. I mean, even some of the stuff that didn't work out for Dirk midway through his career made his eventual breakthrough that much sweeter. And um, I understand it's comparing five titles to one title with Duncan and Dirk. But I think I would maybe rather have rooted for Dirk over the last 20 years because I just can't think of a relationship with an athlete that would be more rewarding I mean, than it was. This with. sounds like a Rorschach test. I could see you as a Dirk, man. I mean, you know, people like to make fun of your <laughs> your haircut. You got kind of a Dirky haircut. I mean, you got kind yep. of a Dirky personality. And I, at the same way, I think you could flip that around on me and say, yeah, this guy's boring like Tim Duncan. I mean, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> he's 30 years past his prime, 30 years before he should be. Yeah, it's it's tricky, you know. I don't it, it's I don't say that lightly because Tim Duncan is one of the ten best players of all time. But uh, I can't imagine anything cooler than rooting for Dirk for over the last twenty years. So um, Mavericks fans, savor it. Luca is still overrated, but Dirk is not overrated even Oof. a little bit. And with that, let's move on, Ben. To the meat of the podcast, I don't know, we just did 20 minutes on Dirk, so um, 
Let's start here. Who are your finals picks? You've done radio all day. You told me you've done like six hours of radio before this podcast. So headed in here, who you got? Warriors over Bucks in five. Uh, I think the Warriors' hardest uh, series is going to be the second round series against Houston. I think that's a real rough look uh, for the NBA and the TV ratings. Uh, But I'm not going to stress too much about that. I'm going to try to enjoy these playoffs before writing them off. Um, The craziness on the last night of the season with who's going to play who, especially in the Western Conference, almost made my brain explode. Like I thought I was bad at procrastinating, but waiting until the final minute of the final quarter of the final game of the entire regular season to basically determine who was going to play who uh, was was pretty wild. And I think the Golden State came out of it great. I think Denver came out of it great. Portland, despite this incredible performance from uh, Efforty Simons, I mean, they're going against Oklahoma City now, uh, who they lost to 4-0 during the regular season, and they don't really have an answer for Adams inside. And then Houston, obviously, was the, the biggest loser. I mean, to drop to the four spot, uh, I, I think they're going to be okay against Utah in that first round. But, you know, I, I think that kind of changes the balance or, like, I guess the pacing of this entire postseason. Uh, but to me, I think Golden State's going to get through the gauntlet in round two, and they're going to cruise to their third straight title. Okay. Um, good take. I, too, am just baffled by everything that happened on the last night. The the Kings-Blazers box score, specifically, is one of the most incredible artifacts from the entire season. Like, literally, they played three guys 48 minutes. Anthony Simons had 37 points. I haven't thought about him since midway through the draft process last year. I was at the Clippers game watching Grayson Allen get a career high, and it was still only like 25% as impressive as what Anthony Simons was doing. (laughs) It's just unbelievable. And there are people who kind of complain about how sketchy the NBA gets at the end of the season. To me, I actually love it. It's one of the traditions that I really enjoy about this league is it's like the last week is just kind of no man's land. It screws with everyone's fantasy leagues. It screws all sorts of things up. Uh, But it's a fun little wild card to throw into the mix. And um, it has never been more wild than it was with the Nuggets comeback, with the Blazers game, the Paul George game winner on Tuesday night. Like all of this broke perfectly as far as I'm concerned because I wanted to see Golden State and Houston in the second round. I think that gives us a better shot at healthy Chris Paul. And I also think like that series was, I mean, with all due respect to the Jazz, I think the Rockets are going to handle Utah fairly easily. We'll see. Um, But those two teams were going to be orbiting each other the entire playoffs regardless. So let's get it out of the way early and see what happens, see what Houston's got. And then we're going to have a little bit of variety in the Western Conference Finals, and I'll enjoy that too. I'm a little nervous about that variety, though, Andrew, because there's been a couple of years. Like, remember when the Spurs got the Grizzlies in the Western Conference Finals, and like halfway through Game One, everyone's like, "Okay, <laughs> like this series, why did we have this on this stage?" And I think it was a sweep, and it was done pretty quick. I'm it was wor- tough, yeah. I'm worried that's what's going to happen if it's Golden State versus, say, Denver or Golden State. I don't know who would be Portland or San Antonio or okay, so whoever gets through on that side. I just feel like the the bracket, uh, it's a little bit lopsided one direction. And also, I mean, to be honest, as a Western Conference elitist, 
I look at that Western Conference final sort of like the SEC title game. And right now I'm just worried that, oh, you know, <laughs> I, I would like to be there, you know, chanting W-E-S-T, you know, spelling it out sort of like they do yep. down there in the South. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, I'm not sure that that platform is going to live up to what we usually see in that in that series. Yeah, well, here's the thing. The Warriors are going to skate through the Western Conference bracket pretty easily. Like, I could see them going faux, faux, faux on the oh, way to the finals. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, the, look, we got to be honest here. The West isn't good this year. The West, all, none of these teams oh, are serious God. contenders. They're just not. The Rockets are being held together with tape and absurd James Harden performances that he may not be able to replicate in the playoffs. We'll have to wait and see. Who knows? But like none of these teams pose a serious threat to Golden State, and I don't think it's going to be close. I think the three best, most credible Warriors challengers are all in the East. And you could even throw Philly in there. Philly gives the Warriors problems too. What was the scarier part for the rest of the Western Conference? When Golden State went on a six-game winning streak this month and winning by an average of 20 points per game, Or when they come out of the last game of the season and Kevin Durant's like, look, it's not going to be as easy as everybody thinks it is to beat the Clippers. We got to take this team seriously. This team's really good. Like, what is more scary? Like, their absolute dominance on the court or the fact that they're locked in and focused and not screaming at the media for no reason, right? Like, both of those things would terrify me. And Doc Rivers is great last night. I mean, Doc's hilarious. He's like, yeah, we're the underdog. (laughs) You think that's some sort of an insult? We're going against the Golden State Warriors. And one of the guys followed up and was like, well, if you could take away one thing, what would you take away? And he goes, Steph, Clay, and KD. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's Good like, place to start. Yeah, let's yeah. just take away their three top scores and we'll be fine. So, yeah, I think that's where we're at. I think Golden State will go 4-0, 4-2, uh, 4-1, 4-1. Okay. Um, I'm really, really struggling with my picks, and I have not made up my mind entirely. Maybe I will make up my mind by the end of this podcast. We'll see. Well, here's the thing, but, though. I mean, that doesn't matter. It's like you're, you're always writing in pencil. I mean, you make up your mind. Okay. <laughs> you fill out two brackets last year. You changed your mind three times during the 2016 oh NBA Finals. Oh, my God. I mean, come on. You're going to pick everybody. Why not? Pick you're the, never going to. No. Pick the here's Wizards. The deal. You're never going to let me live down my two brackets in our stupid bracketology thing when one of the brackets I picked the Wizards <laughs> to win the NBA championship. I think it's safe to say that was not a sincere bracket. Okay. But Are you picking them this year? Well, no. I, you know what? The Wizards have a 9% chance at Zion Williamson. Oh, you're picking them in the yes. lottery. Okay. <laughs> I, I might be picking them in the lottery. That was, I saw like one of those glossy charts. I think um, NBA.com tweeted it today. And seeing that the Wiz were close to a 10% shot at Zion was like the happiest I've been in three and a half months with that stupid team. But uh, we'll see on that front. Okay, well, which way are you leaning, you know, because you don't want to commit because you're having such a hard time with this, even though this is what we get paid to do. I mean, where are you thinking? Well, listen, we get paid to have a pick by Saturday, okay? Right now it's Thursday (laughs) afternoon. Um, Okay, so the way I pick these big NBA events, you know, playoffs, titles, this and that, is I start by thinking about where the broader narrative arc is headed and then kind of reverse engineer it. So I'm not as worried about matchups or this or that. I'm just kind of thinking about the big picture here. And what I'm struggling with now is that I have a couple 
endpoints that are sort of juxtaposed and some are directly at odds with each other. The first thing that I am weighing here is that I think Kyrie Irving is ultimately going to stay in Boston Ooh. and the Celtics are going to get Anthony Davis Ooh. and they are going to enter next season as the prohibitive title favorites. So wait, they're doing would... they're doing this all after losing in the second round. <laughs> well, that's the problem because if they lose in the second round, then I think things start to get pretty real as far as Kyrie looking elsewhere. And I and I think part of that is the state of Gordon Hayward and also Kyrie just being a general weirdo. So I think the Celtics need to make a finals run to enter the summer feeling good about what Kyrie is going to do. Um, but I also, you know, I think the Celtics are probably the best team in the East when everybody's healthy. So that's one thing that I'm weighing. Okay. The other thing is I really believe that Giannis is going to be the best player of this generation. I think he's still better than anyone realizes. I think he's the best player in the league right now. And this spring could be the beginning of all this shit getting very real. And everyone's started to kind of recognize who he is and what the next 10 years of Giannis are going to be. Um, and that obviously weighs toward a Bucks finals run. And I even, look, part of me, I hit you up earlier today. <laughs> like, I kind of want to pick the Bucks to beat the Warriors. But then ultimately, what I'm really struggling with is I think that the Warriors era here, it's, it's going to go down as the most successful, least fulfilling era in modern NBA history. And the only way that story can end is with another easy title. So it sounds like your brain and your heart are really in collision here because you're rooting yes. for what would be the incredible story, which would be Giannis zero playoff series victories going all the way to a title in one year, establishing himself as the heir to LeBron, uh, shattering all understandings of what we thought player development were about elevating his teammates to a new level, opening up a window where how many titles can he get during his prime? Is he going to be able to match Jordan? I mean, the hype machine would be out of control if that happened. On the exactly. other on the other hand, you realize that Golden State's Golden State, right? And they're going to be just fine. Like they're going to Well, yes. Probably. And win. I also Hey, can I just I, nitpick real quick though on your framing of Golden State? Like I understand that's how you feel, right? Let's talk uh -huh. about what the history books are going to say about Golden State. If they win the West, they'll be the first team ever to win the Western Conference five years in a row. They'll be the first team ever to win any conference since the 1960s Celtics. And I know you revere them because you're a big Celtics fan. If they, <laughs> if they win the title, they'll be the first team to win four titles in five years since those 1960s uh -huh. Celtics. Magic didn't do it. Mike didn't do it. Larry didn't do it. Shaq didn't do it. Nobody else did it. If Durant gets finals MVP, which I've already told you is going to happen, he will join yeah. Mike and Shaq as the only player to win that award three years in a row. So I understand you're saying boring, this, that, and the other thing, but it's also very, very, very historic. I mean, this is the rarest of air from a dynasty perspective. And if it goes down how I think it's going to go down, and like you're sort of predicting how they're going to race through the Western Conference, you're going to have to give them their due, man. Like, even if it's begrudging, you're going to have to say, like, all right, you know, you can come up with whatever excuse you want. Oh, they cheated the system, blah, blah, blah. You're going to have to show them some love. Nobody's not giving them their due. They've been incredible. You've if been you're hating on them me, for three straight years. Come on. What do you mean? I'm not hating on them. I'm saying they're objectively not very enjoyable for general NBA fans. And I think a lot of basketball fans kind of feel cheated by the way this has gone down 
which is fine. It's not that's not a shot at Golden State and what they're doing. Like they're still going out and winning. Um, I think if you're asking about their place in history, to to give you a serious answer, the way we're going to remember them is they're going to continue winning after Durant leaves, and the Durant era there is going to be a weird blip, but the larger story is going to be Steph Curry anchoring 10 of the most successful years the NBA has ever seen. And um, and that will be their place in history, and the Durant weirdness and dominance is also going to be part of that, and, um, and, and including the way those teams were perceived or the way these teams were perceived since we're still in the era. Um, but to tie it back to the playoffs and, and my picks, I think you're right that there are some um, collisions here between my heart and my head. Okay, and I'm, I'm gonna going steer to steer you through this. Difference. No, 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 no. I'm steering you through this. First of all, you can't pick the Celtics to win the East, even though that's kind of what you want because you're a big fan inside, deep down. Um, <laughs> you're gonna hate Why you. isn't Bill Russell in the GOAT conversation? That's all I want to know. Right. You're going to hate yourself if you pick the Celtics, right? Now your yeah. choice is to pick the Warriors or to pick the Bucks. Will anyone in the world blame you if you pick the Bucks and you're wrong? You know what I mean? Um, who is who is no. going to hold that against you? There's one person who might, and it's the guy talking right now into the microphone. I might make fun of you for not getting a pick right, you know, for the next five years because that's what I do. Besides that, everyone else will respect the gumption, the cojones of going out there and, and picking with your heart and you know, want you know, basically pulling a Lavar and trying to uh, wish it into existence, right? <laughs> Speak it into existence. Right. No, here's the deal. Here's the you're deal. You're picking the Bucks. I'm, That's what you're doing. I'm picking. I'm picking Bucks Warriors. Warriors in five, probably in the I, finals. I just picked um, that. You don't want to pick what I pick. Come on, Andrew. That's not how you roll. You want Bucks no. in six. Bucks in six, just we- like Brandon Jennings. <laughs> you're <laughs> you're gonna be so happy. Think about it. No, because I, I got somebody got on me last year when I had like kind of a half serious prediction on the podcast, and they were like, "You're a journalist." So no, I gotta keep it consistent. My prediction here is gonna be my prediction on Sports Illustrated: Warriors in five. Ultimately, my head says Warriors over Celtics, but I'm going with my heart in Bucks Celtics, and I'm sticking with Giannis, and then. The Warriors are going to win, and it's going to be boring, and Kevin Durant's going to leave. I don't think Kevin Durant can leave if the Warriors lose. So I think the Warriors win and put a little bow on this weird three-year era the NBA has had, and then we'll probably continue winning uh, when Steph is there. But well, here's that's, what, that's here's where what I am re- right now. Here's what really kills me. What you've really done here is tried to cover every single base so if golden state wins you could say yeah that was my official prediction if milwaukee shocks the world you could tell everybody hey look i knew it okay i, I told you <laughs> you're gonna try to pull that routine again and if boston somehow comes out of it you could say well look i called them the best team in the east too i mean come on man this is what i mean well, this, this is what drives me crazy your compass points in every direction <laughs> <laughs> i can't i i can't argue with that one i i'm not <laughs> confident in any direction right now give me a couple more hours before Saturday, um, but let's keep it moving here. I don't know. Do you do you have a favorite series? Uh, first round or what? Yeah, first round. I mean, the, my favorite series easily would have been OKC Portland, but the Nurkic injury is just so devastating. Like, it's already sad that he was going to be out, but him being out for that series is just like triply heartbreaking. 
Uh, in terms yeah. of the series, I think I'm going to be paying the most attention to, and I realize it's like a basketball dork answer, but I think it's going to be Denver San Antonio. And I it's, knew you were going to say it, but it's man. not. It's not the San Antonio side, though, Andrew. It's the Denver side. Like I want to see Jokic. Anytime a guy is making his playoff debut, like who is that high up in terms of MVP conversation, All NBA conversation, it gets me excited because how does it translate? I did a big story on Jokic this week. Uh, and on the Nuggets rise out of the kind of, you know, six uh, years not being in the playoffs since 2013, I thought their GM was uh-huh. really candid. And he basically told me, look, like Jokic came to me and said, hey, I want to be like Tim Duncan. And you know me, that's just like manna from heaven, right? I'm like, oh, my God, this guy everyone says I look like idolizes the same guy idolized. Maybe we're like, you know, distant cousins or something. So everyone should go check that story out on the Washington Post. But I'm of two minds with Jokic. Like, I think he could wind up being the best player in that series, dominate, make the cynics look crazy, you know, win all their games on their home court and move on, right? I also could uh-huh. see him getting exposed a little bit, having his uh, supporting cast uh, wilt a little bit. They have not been playing very well down the stretch. They're super young. Uh, their road record is terrible. Like there's some real clear red flags there. And San Antonio, they're going to be steady. They're not going to beat themselves. Aldridge is going to show up because he always shows up in the playoffs and they're going to force you to beat them. So I think I'm also interested in seeing Jokic in that series specifically because I don't think San Antonio can really spread him out, right? Like they can't exploit him in the same way Houston might or Golden State might. So I think he's really going to have a chance to show what he can do. So that's why I think that's probably what I would call my quote-unquote favorite series. Okay, um, good answer. I... I don't have a whole lot of confidence in Denver and I don't feel great about it because I like them. I like like watching Jokic dominate a game is so much more fun than watching just about any other superstar do it because he's just like wobbling around. He's throwing in these leaning floaters. He's hitting guys all over the floor and his offense is just it's unlike any other experience in basketball. And it's actually similar to Dirk in that like We've never seen a player take over games this way. Um, I think the thing that works against Jokic is that his weakness as a center who's sort of supposed to anchor a defense will hurt his teams more than Dirk's weaknesses did. Um, But the Nuggets have just sucked for the last month. And so it's hard for me to ignore. You know what I mean? For sure. And it's not necessarily he, I mean, he sucked against the Warriors. I went to see them in person and like the Warriors just completely took him out. I mean, it was almost embarrassing. And, you know, yeah. Cousins was doing his little like waving act and trying to really rub it in his face. That, I thought that was unnecessary. That actually, yeah, the Cousins thing that night, I tweeted something mean about the Warriors and it was basically a direct response to Cousins <laughs> taunting Jokic well, when Cousins is out there with four Hall of Famers and it's just like, you're, dude, you're standing up, shit. You're standing up for my Serbian brother. I appreciate it. I'm going to read you something that Tim Connolly told me, okay? People can check this out on the Washington Post. And I want your live reaction to it because it, it hit me when he said this, okay? He said, okay. it's a lazy narrative to denigrate what Jokic has done and not see how it translates to the playoffs. I question how many of these critics have watched a whole game. He's a prime example of being judged aesthetically. He doesn't look like a superstar and doesn't play above the rim, but his game is playoff ready. He can post up, hit threes, play from the elbow, handle the ball in pick and rolls, finish off pick and rolls. He's the best passer in our league, regardless of position. He's always rebounded. Those things are important in playoff basketball. I was like, okay, Tim, like drop the mic. Like I really hear what you're saying. 
but at the same time, I'm getting visions of... <laughs> I also didn't hear defense in that quote. Right. I, I'm getting the visions of the stumps on skates. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's always right there, kind of uh, weighing over everything. So you sound a little bit skeptical, not only of the Nuggets, but also maybe of Jokic a little bit, too. Did that passionate plea on behalf of his GM, who obviously, you know, is is a biased narrator here, but he's also an informed narrator, did that convince mm-hmm. you at all? I didn't need to be convinced on on the Jokic front, and and I'm not really skeptical when I say I, I'm when I compare Jokic to Dirk. All I'm saying is that Dirk benefited in that like the things he was amazing at were also exactly what became really really important over the second half of his career, and he was well positioned to benefit. The things that Jokic struggles with are weaknesses that are easily exploited as the game becomes more spread out. And that's something that I worry about when we're talking about, like, can he win a title? Can you win a title with him as your best player if you're building a defense around him? And, like, we'll have to wait and see. As far as the Nuggets in the first round, what the thing I'm worried about is, like, Jamal Murray. has. I don't trust Jamal Murray whatsoever. Gary Harris has been really up and down. Right. Uh, and, like... Their wings aren't good enough. Their guards are young. And so that's that's the part where, like, I'm willing to take a leap of faith and say that Jokic can go into a playoff series and be the best player on the floor. But there are other questions in Denver that kind of tip the scales for me where I'm like, I don't know if I trust this team. No, I hear you completely. I guess my point would be they're not playing that great of a team, right? San Antonio was good this year, not great. So if Jokic is the best player in that series and they have home court advantage, shouldn't they sneak out that series win? So I'm actually picking the Nuggets in seven in that one. Um, I'm I'm not doing so confidently. I share a lot of your hesitations and your concerns, and they definitely backed their way into the two-seed in almost in like historic fashion, the way they've been playing here lately. I mean, everything just broke perfectly for them. I think they would get swept by Golden State. You know, if it's the Western Conference Finals, uh, I don't think that they have the perimeter size, length, athleticism, switchability, to keep up with the Warriors at all. I think it actually would get really ugly. You know, I think it would be like an average of 15 to 20 point wins, sort of like how Golden State rocked Utah a couple years ago. Um, Yeah. But they may never get to that stage for us to find out. Yeah, well, we'll see. And the other thing that could work in Jokic's favor is like with Golden State, we're talking about the greatest small ball team of all time all the pieces fit and they have three of the best shooters we've ever seen in the NBA over the last 80 years. And once that team breaks up, it may not seem as impossible for big guys to stay out there on the court and thrive in, in the playoff environments. And, um, and that's one, that was a great point. You, you should be very proud of that point. Excellent point. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, Let's keep it moving well, because I've thought about that with Embiid and some of these other guys. It's no, like, let's wait and see where we are in two years. I hear you. Just to tie off the Golden State thing real quick, I listed off some of their accomplishments before. I just neglected to mention they had the most efficient offense of all time this season, right? So despite all the nonsense, Steph missing time, KD being gloomy and all that, they had the best offense ever. Uh, their best offense yeah. during their era, better than any of the Showtime teams. They beat the record. And since the All-Star break, they've had a top five defense too, right? So these guys, they know what they're no, doing here. They're incredible. And let me say this on the Warriors side, because I think you sometimes paint me as this like hater, casual fan hater. And it's like, no, I recognize exactly how great they are. 
and it would be Andrew. You're podcasting wonderful. right now in a cupcake suit. I mean, come on, like what am I? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Like you've been bagging no. on KD for two straight years. No, no, no. It, nothing would make me happier than them turning it on and going through these playoffs 16 and 0 and punctuating this era with the type of run that reflects how much better they really have been over the last couple of years. And that I think more than anything when we talk about what's frustrating about the Warriors is that half the time you look up and watch this team kind of going through the motions. So they've removed all drama but also are playing at half speed and it's just very frustrating. But if they go through and play as well as they can and just blow the doors off of people, like when they head into that Houston series, I think that they are going to be motivated to really humble the Rockets and really (laughs) beat the crap out of those guys. So people are like, oh my God, Houston Golden State in round two, that's going to be a bloodbath. Like, I don't know, man. I would not bet on that going more than five games. That's all I'll say. It's a very interesting point because you also were saying earlier about how Houston might want to get them earlier because of Chris Paul's health. And I get that, but I think Houston's first round series is going to be a lot tougher than Golden State's, right? So if Golden State has home court and this big rest advantage, you know, because they're going to take care of the Clippers, I think, in four games. By the way, I'm going to apologize to all the open floor globe. I know I hyped the Clippers a lot this year. I mean, they are about to get cute storied like we've never seen a team get cute storied before. Andrew. It's a bummer too, <laughs> because like if it were if it were Clippers Nuggets, I don't know. I could see that going six or seven games. For there sure. would be a lot of fun games. And I don't know. Things didn't break well for Doc and Montrez and Pat Beverly. It's a bummer. It, it really is a bummer. And just last question for you on the Warriors. Are you going to get the snake tattoo removed once KD leaves? Or how are you going to handle that? Because <laughs> I, I hate you. I know Lonzo, he had to like paint over, hit the big baller logo and make it into dice. Like, are you going to redo <sighs> it or are you just going to remove it? Like, are you going to alter it's... it or or just take it off? I don't know how we've been doing this podcast for three years now without me just quitting one of these days and <laughs> you mischaracterizing all my takes. Um, but listen, we got to read an ad here. We got two ads today. We got a lot to get through. The Lakers are a total mess. So first, Ben, today's show is brought to us by Movement Watches. And listeners out there, I want you to stop what you're doing. Look down at your left wrist. Because our friends at Movement Watches have got exactly what you're missing. Movement has you covered with tons of quality, clean, and all-around good-looking watches and accessories that we could actually afford and order right from our couch. Do your wrist and your wallet a favor. Go check out their minimalist designs that you can have with no risk because they offer free shipping and returns Ben, tell me a little bit more about Movement Watches. Movement Watches start at just $95, so you're guaranteed to find something you love that won't break your bank. These guys are truly a ground-up entrepreneurial success story. They understand living on a tight budget because they lived it too, and that's why they wanted to make quality products that are accessible to everyone. They've sold more than 2 million watches across more than 160 countries, and their collections are always expanding just for you. Get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns by going to mvmt.com slash floor. See why movement keeps growing. Check out their expanded collection by going to mvmt.com slash floor. Join the movement. Can I tell you something? I was sent a watch by movement 
and I never thought I was a watch guy, but boy, I have become a watch guy real quick, born again, and uh, now wear it every day. I, I love it. Yeah, and no disrespect to your reading of the ad copy. People can look at their left wrist or their right wrist. You know, people are going to wear, <laughs> and sometimes both. I mean, honestly, movement watches are so affordable. Just get one for each wrist and be the man. It's true. It's true. And I do wear mine on my right wrist. So um, we're an equal opportunity podcast as far as as far as movement watches are concerned um, and wrists are concerned. But moving on Very here, cool. Ben. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just we're killing it today. Uh, Atticus says, I am sure the basketball, by the way, here we're shifting away from the playoffs for a bit. And I, we're going to talk playoffs for the next two months. But there's been enough chaos around the NBA that we need to address some of the other elephants in the room. So Atticus says, I'm sure the basketball intelligentsia is going to skewer Vlade for making this move too soon. But there was also the Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr situation. So maybe this actually makes sense. What do you think the Kings should do from here? What kind of hire could make this Dave Yeager decision salvageable? It's a good question. I mean, I'm wondering, is Dave Yeager, does he have diet Tibbs tendencies? You know, like, is he wearing on people a little bit? Like, didn't that happen at his previous job where he was pretty vocal about some of the moves that the front office had made and maybe second-guessing things? Um, Obviously, there's a lot to second-guess there in Sacramento, so I could see why that would be a a source of tension. When you're looking at, like, Luka Doncic over there every single night in Dallas, when you're thinking about the brilliance of the Papayanis era there in Sacramento— uh, I mean, Who could the, forget right, the, the list goes on and on and on and on, right? And so uh, I'm not sure there's a real case to say you fired Jaeger for basketball reasons, right? I mean, uh-huh. they definitely overperformed this season. I mean, to me, they were a great story all year long. They definitely vastly exceeded my expectations. They had many guys play better than I ever thought they would, starting with Buddy Heald. Um, but they also pretty much hit their ceiling. Like they're not that good. And and they're also very, very young. So yeah, could a different coach come in, help them take the next step and be a little bit easier to work with for Vlade? I could see that happening. Um, do I trust Vlade to make any decision about anything ever? No, still, I don't. I I really don't. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I think that's a smart place to be. I like Vlade, but I would not want him running my basketball team. And the Jaeger thing is tricky because he's had a couple of these situations where he doesn't get along with front offices and there's friction, there are questions about job security. And granted, the first one was with the Grizzlies, who were also in flux and also are a team that I don't necessarily trust the people in charge and had their own kind of mess unfurl on Twitter today and they fired their coach they demoted some people so like the Grizzlies are not reliable narrators either but I don't know how much I trust Jaeger as far as what he did as a coach out there I think the criticism you can make of the Kings is like they can't guard anybody but that's not really a Jaeger problem because the the personnel that he has like none of those guys can guard so if you give him Harry Giles and Buddy Heald, and Marvin Bagley, and Bielitsa, like, you're gonna have a really bad defense. I don't know what to tell you, so I don't, I don't really pin that on Jaeger, and if anything, like, his ability to adapt to the talent he had and play really fast gave the Kings a chance in a lot of these games and made this season 10 times more fun than anyone would have expected. So I, I think, 
he deserves credit for that. And now it's like back to square one with the Kings where we're like, all right, so what the hell is this team doing? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I hate to praise you for having a great tweet today, but you did have one. You, you were putting out what De'Aaron Fox said about his coach at the All-Star break and how important he was to him. And um, that's the only measure that I would have cared about this season if I was Kings ownership. Did you help De'Aaron Fox take the next step towards stardom? The answer is yes. I mean, that guy to me is yeah. one of the most improved players you can see it happening, right? Like you can see the vision of a Fox-led team being in the playoffs a year or two down the road, even if his supporting cast is mediocre. He's about all the right things. He's being set up for success. He was brought along the uh, right way. Not, you know, there wasn't too much thrown at him too soon. Um, to me, that's a good coaching job. Uh, I think that Jaeger, even if he winds up, uh, you know, kind of getting stained by this, you know, from a, you know, a managing up perspective where he may get this knock that he's difficult to work with, or he's too opinionated, or he doesn't just focus on his job. I think he's going to be able to continue to get interest around the league and other coaching jobs uh, because of the, the work that he did in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, the De'Aaron Fox endorsement doesn't necessarily mean you don't fire somebody. Uh, John Wall endorsed Randy Whitman and was a big reason that they brought Whitman back. So there are times when making a change is the right move. Yeah. I just think t- that- tone matters a lot too, doesn't it? In those player endorsements, like, oh yeah, I love my coach. <laughs> He's great. Right. Or, <laughs> totally, or, totally. I love my coach. He's great, right? And it, it, it can run a gamut there, but it seemed genuine was my point from what you had, you had tweeted. Yeah, it, it did seem genuine when I sat with him. It wasn't like, full-blown, I'm ready to go out and die for this guy, but he was surprised that I even asked about him potentially leaving and was just like, yeah, like we definitely want him in Sacramento. And so I'm sure that's kind of another another thing for Fox to wrap his head around as he thinks about that franchise. Um, and the main thing is like you don't make this move unless you have some really good alternatives, and I have no idea whether the Kings actually have those alternatives so, um, yeah, that's why they're the Kings. We'll see. I want the best for Deer and Fox, and they've got a lot of questions to answer this summer. Even when you think about the roster, like how much do you pay Willie Cauley-Stein? Do you bring him back? Like, I don't really know. So um, we'll see. We'll probably revisit them in three months um, because we got playoffs to talk about. But the hey, other team— Real quick, though, do you know who else had a good Kings tweet? That's right, I did. This is the Sacramento Kings <laughs> by the numbers, Andrew, since 2006, 2007. Are you ready? Okay. Nine coaches, three general managers, two ownership groups, one all-star, zero playoff appearances, zero winning seasons, and the second most cumulative losses trailing only the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, I think De'Aaron Fox is going to have a lot to think about, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. And as great as their season was, they kind of went all in for Harrison Barnes, which was a head scratcher at the time. And then the season went in the tank from there. And that certainly doesn't bode well for the Harrison Barnes era in Sacramento. So I don't know. Um and also traded De'Aaron Fox's best friend and Justin Jackson, and they lost Iman Shepard in that process too, and he had actually been really good for them. So the Kings are the Kings, and the Lakers are the Lakers, Ooh. Ben. What should we, where do we even start? We got a bunch of Lakers questions, but screw it. Screw the emailers. Let's just give me your impression on what happened this week. Well, I wanted to give it to you is a Jeb Bush comparison, but it didn't sound like you wanted it. Are you sure you don't want it? <laughs> no, hit me with the Jeb comparison. Okay, I'll just keep it real simple. I'll do an abbreviated version. So for years, I was a little bit 
scared of the prospect of a Jeb Bush presidency because I looked at the Florida factor. I looked at the bilingual factor. I looked at the name recognition, the family history. And I thought, man, this guy is really, really electable. Like there are some fundamentals that would make him uh, very likely to become U.S. president, right? And okay. I think there's some similarities there. Now, obviously the exact opposite personality, but it's the same deal with magic, right? Incredible charisma, knows every single person in basketball, is the face of the Lakers' greatness, is able to inspire people and, and bring them towards his vision, is a mover and shaker, understands what superstars want, right? So on the, there's these surface factors with magic where you're like, man, this guy would actually be like a really, really good president for the Lakers. If you get him in the right spot, like this could really work out, right? But once we saw them both actually on the job, like you remember how embarrassing it was during Jeb Bush's like candidacy, right? Where he's like, please clap, like clap, please. And like, he's just getting roasted in all of the debates. And it was just clear, like this guy's not really cut out for this job. And Mm -hmm. I think that we were seeing, especially here over the last 12 months, that was the same deal with Magic. Like he really wasn't cut out for that job as Lakers president in much the same way that Doc wasn't cut out for the job as Clippers president. He was a little bit too self-confident, a little bit too into his own ego. Uh, The nitty gritty minor details that are going to make things work, the small trades around the edges, the two-way contract players, the, you know... um, getting little draft assets for the future, targeting the right free agents and all that stuff. He never really showed much interest or focus on. And ultimately, he just wasn't really doing that good of a job, just like Jeb Bush didn't wind up being that great of a presidential candidate. And I think it was just a case where like the fit for what's really important in those positions, the skills that actually mattered, uh, is a little bit different than that perception from a distance. And I think it's actually in the best interest of the Lakers to not have Magic in charge anymore. And I also think, by the way, he would still be in charge if they really thought they were getting an A-list free agent this summer, because I think Magic would have wanted to be around to get the credit. And so my takeaway from the whole thing this week was it's very, very ominous for the Lakers free agency. Like, I don't think that they're going to get one of these big names. And I think he knows it. And I think they're going to come to terms with that here pretty shortly. Yeah, um, no, that's a smart takeaway because I hadn't thought about that, but there's no way Magic leaves if they have any word from Kawhi or any word from Durant or even Clay. Like, absent that, I really do think that they're going to be sitting there on July 5th offering $130 million to Jimmy Butler and selling themselves right. on that partnership with LeBron. Or, or what if they even had a phone call with Gail? You know, it's like, hey, let's reopen these AD talks. Okay, we'll keep that. You know, if, if he had any lead on Anthony Davis, you think he's walking? No way, because he wants yeah, that credit. Probably not. Yeah, well, and here's the thing. I, I think the Lakers in general, the, like, there's no question that Magic moving on is good. But the Lakers still have no idea what they're doing and it does sound like Rob Palenka is going to be empowered to kind of take the reins here and from all indications Rob Palenka has no idea what he's doing and is probably even worse than magic because he's magic he he's exactly as clueless as magic but without any of the charm and without any re- recruiting power Andrew let's let's do a mental exercise okay because everyone's bashing Palinka, and I haven't heard anybody stand up for Palinka at all in the last two years. 
So let's do it. Let's let's pretend. Let's make the case that Palenka's got this thing covered. Like, where does that case begin? Because I can promise you, it's not going to fill more than like thirty seconds of radio. <laughs> no, it's it's brutal, and I think that it it is on the bus children, and they just don't understand. I wrote about this a little bit this week, and ultimately, I think it's the difference between Magic Johnson and Jerry West. And when you think about the greatness that the Lakers had, like, yeah, they were always famous, but like those teams had soul and the front offices were really, really smart. And the mystique with the Lakers is not necessarily rooted in being the most famous team in the league and the loudest team in the league, but they were also just really, really great at building basketball teams And as some of the built-in advantages for the Lakers have disappeared, they have no kind of intellectual acumen to fall back on. And they haven't come up with any plan B. They have no culture. And I don't think the bus children even realize that that's what they should be investing in. And that's what they should be chasing. And, uh, And I think going after Magic and basically turning over the franchise to him and then subsequently turning the franchise over to LeBron and Rich Paul like represents a fundamental misunderstanding on ownership's part of like how this team was ever great. No doubt. And the shocking part of Magic's statement was him basically saying like, hey, I didn't even know who Rob Polinka was. Like Jeannie just threw us together. It was fine. I had no problem with him, but I didn't know the guy was basically what Magic told reporters. It's incredible. That is damning. First of all, because, you know, you need to have a real synergy in those positions. And especially if you've got magic where there's some clear blind spots in terms of what he's not going to be really good at, you need to make sure his deputy is amazing at all of those things. And it's not clear to me. And going back to my mental exercise of like making the case for Rob, I don't see any of (laughs) Yeah, I can't do that. I I can't even play that game. (laughs) I can't do it either. But all you hear is he's Kobe's guy. He's Kobe's guy. Well, Okay, that's fine. That's just nepotism then uh, because it's, you know, somebody in the Lakers family who you're rewarding. But Andrew, how hard was it to negotiate contracts for Kobe Bryant? I mean, come on. Like, right. Like, th- those negotiated themselves. So that's why I have just huge questions about Rob. It was completely unacceptable for him not to go and talk at the exit interviews. I think that's a mandatory media situation for every team. You've got other GMs in tricky spots with their coaches being fired or coaching changes or whatever else, facing the media, taking questions. For him to not even be out there to give uh, a standard pat response to the questions that you know are coming is dereliction of duty. You know, like, what are you doing? What's your job if you're not in that situation taking questions? I thought that was completely unacceptable by him. And if it wasn't him, it had to be Jeannie. And if I was the owner, I would say, I'm paying you, Rob, to go out there and take those arrows. You better do it. Yeah, I agree. And also, that's supposed to be Palinka's skill. But at the same time, if he went out there and spoke to people, I'm sure he would have made it worse. I'm sure he would have had some kind of rambling explanation (laughs) that just made everything seem more incoherent and more depressing for Lakers fans. And that's ultimately the reason he should be out of there. You know, that would have been better too, right? If you're a genie, wouldn't you want to see him fail and then fire him? (laughs) Like, you know? Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. There's no question. But it sounds like they've kind of like bunkered down to weather the storm here when really genie and the other bus kids like this should be a wake-up call it's like all right well this is like rock bottom the the franchise has never been more embarrassed than it has been over the last 12 months 
And there has to be like major, major changes around the organization. And they need basketball people in there. When I say like they had the other teams had like a real culture and the mystique, like the mystique was rooted in basketball and they need people who are actually going to care about scouting and outsmarting other teams because the Lakers are no longer richer than everybody. Like the Steve Ballmer has $10 billion. I don't even know what his net worth is, but it's probably obscene. The Warriors are the Warriors, and so the Lakers have to actually like work to create some advantages, and they have not really realized any of that so far, which For is sure. pretty incredible. And I think, unfortunately, like their decision makers have actually uh, squandered some of their scouting wins, right? Like they've had a couple of nice picks, like late first, early second, that have actually worked out, and the players wind up getting traded or they're kind of weird fits or whatever else, and. You know, that's got to be frustrating the people who are in those roles when they're looking to rob and magic for direction. And, and that's sort of what they're getting back. The other thing I'd say too, though, in defense of magic, just a little bit here. Um, yeah. You were saying, well, this last 12 months has been about as embarrassing as it could get for the Lakers. Look, they've been really embarrassed for like the last four or five years. I mean, it's been really hard totally. to watch this franchise no, that's a good point. flounder here for the last couple of years. And I actually think magic deserves a little credit for reinstilling some level of pride. I mean, whether you want to say that's just, you know, give LeBron all the credit for showing up, but Magic came in and he was the most important for that franchise in his first couple of months on the job of just basically beating the drum that they're going to be a destination. They're going to get superstars. This thing is going to get back into the right direction because that franchise was broken down. And I think the, the level of anger we've seen from Lakers fans here in the last week is totally justified, but it's also uh -huh. a sign that they've re-engaged, right? Because it was getting a little dicey there a couple years ago where it was like, oh boy, not this again. We're going nowhere. You know, some of these coaching hires are so weird. They don't make any sense. Like people were kind of checking out. And I think if nothing else, Magic helped reawaken that uh, kind of sleeping bear uh, of a fan base. There's no question, and all of the systemic issues predate Magic. And Magic did recruit LeBron and did kind of restore some of the grand ambition that had been missing, and he deserves credit. And I also like, even his little exit press conference, I was reminded of how much I like Magic. Like, he's kind of a an epic bullshitter but he i enjoy it and um and i think he's going to be happier not running the lakers so i'm happy for him and it's probably going to be better off for the lakers as well but when you look about uh, when you look at like what the lakers have to do i do still think that pursuing magic kind of represents what's been wrong for 10 years is they don't understand that you can't just be more famous than everybody and expect to charm your way into titles like that's not how this works anymore for sure you're on the money there look my last magic thought is this and it's about that press conference i'm sure you've heard the salesman trick of kind of like repeating people's name back to them to make them feel good to make them like you you know that's why i always address you as andrew on this podcast while i'm ripping you so that we can still be friends yeah, after it's the not fact. working well you might not think it is but deep down psychologically it is and they, they've studied this stuff Magic takes yeah. it to the nth degree, Andrew. I mean, he's shouting out individual reporters during that press conference. He's going around dapping people up. He's taking selfies with various media members. I mean, he's got this very, you know, magic-like uh, ability to just kind of uh, enrapture everyone. And I, I wanted to just share very quickly, I did do an interview with him. I don't think I've mentioned this before on the podcast uh, earlier this season. And 
you note in his uh, his exit interview, he was talking about how annoyed he was by the NBA's tampering rules and how it, it felt make, made him feel boxed in or handcuffed. And he's just a free bird who wants to be able to congratulate players. And he even mentioned how he wanted to go talk to Giannis at a gym, but he knew he'd get in trouble if he tried to have a conversation with him. And he told that to Larry Bird and Larry Bird started laughing at him. Uh, during our interview, Andrew, he was repeatedly interrupted by an assistant who was telling him over and over again, you can't talk about this guy. You can't talk about this guy. You can't talk about this guy. <laughs> and he was getting increasingly agitated as we were, we were going. And he was in a great mood, totally jovial. You know, we're laughing. It was, uh, you know, a fairly successful interview, I thought. But you know, he, I was asking him questions about Jordan and the person would jump in and he's like, no, no, it's fine. Jordan's already retired. Then I ask him questions about LeBron and the person wants to jump in. He can't talk about players. And it's like, no, it's okay. I can talk about him. He's one of my players, right? And this is yeah, just like- on the Lakers. <laughs> right. It's happening over and over and over again. And it made me laugh watching it play out because of how paranoid they were he was going to get another tampering fine. And rightfully so, because he's such a freewheeling type of guy, right? Uh, but it mm-hmm. also made me think, is this what his day-to-day life is like all of the time? And it probably is. That would actually really suck if you're magic and you just want to be yourself and you're constantly kind of being hampered by uh, aspects of the job that you probably didn't anticipate and that sort of go against your nature. So who knows what other drama was around in terms of, you know, their free agency stuff or the Luke Walton decision or whatever else. But I totally believe magic when he said he's going to be happier not being in this position. I believe that 100%. There's no question, and most people who are running a basketball team, because it is, it's really hard work, you have to be careful, you can't be very trusting of people, and you just have to kind of keep a tight circle. And for most people, that's a great deal. I mean, Magic was making $10 million a year, running one of the biggest teams in all of sports, like, that's awesome, and the trade-offs are worth it. Magic's alternatives are... Being a billionaire athlete who is beloved everywhere he goes. <laughs> Winning World and Series. gets to do literally whatever he wants. Yeah, gets to ride the coattails of the World Series champion Dodgers. Like, he can do whatever he wants. So I don't blame him for looking at, at the whole landscape and being like, wait a second, why am I doing this again? We're not going to get – I'm not going to go pitch Jimmy Butler and try and – ride this train into the ground for the next 12 months like (laughs) let me get out while i can and leave the mess to rob palinka who again i don't know let's wait and see on rob i haven't seen much proof that he has any idea what he's doing either but um on that note ben let's move on and before we do today's show is also brought to us by one of our favorite sponsors, our friends at LinkedIn. I bet you Magic's on Listeners. LinkedIn. I'll bet you. <laughs> <laughs> I bet, well, maybe Jeannie is. Maybe this is where she's going to find her GM. Um, and when it's time to make a hire for your small business, you want to find the best person for the job. And odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who make the most sense for your role. They use knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the people who fit the role best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and what they're looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than just a resume. Ben, tell me a little bit more. Your LinkedIn matches are based on skills and background, sure, but also interests, activities, and passions. 
Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your role. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to spend time talking to and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash floor and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash floor, linkedin.com slash floor. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and let's keep it moving here toward the end. Uh, First question from Jonathan. He says, Ben, how can you call yourself a true Western Conference elitist if you're favoring Giannis as MVP based on the Bucks' record in the Eastern Conference, approximately a third of the way through the season, the Rockets were the 14th seed in the brutal West. So, Ben, what do you have for me? Jonathan, you're going to have to do better than this, man. Come on, step your game up, okay? <laughs> uh, a couple of problems. First of all, you don't get credit for being the 14th seed in the brutal West. You know, that's not good. Right. We're looking for consistent excellence, not slow starts and you know six weeks of nonsense okay that's number one number two Giannis's MVP case is about far more than the Bucks record in the Eastern Conference now 60 wins is very impressive a almost nine point differential is very very impressive but that's only part of it to me I think the the key deciding factors uh for two-way play you know, Giannis's defensive impact. I saw a lot of people over on the crossover were nominating Giannis for defense of the player of the year. I was a little surprised at how many of them did that. I was impressed that you had Gobert, by the way, but he's in that conversation, right? The, the second yeah. thing I would say in terms of tiebreaker, elevating the play of his teammates. I think Giannis made his teammates better uh, across the board. Every single guy from role players to his complimentary stars uh, to everybody else, starters, bench players alike, Giannis made all of those guys better this season. And I think that's those are some of the key tiebreakers. They've obviously both got incredible stats, incredible advanced stats, impressive team resumes, great team offenses. But I think the completeness of Giannis's game and his ability to translate his own success onto everybody else around him uh, is what would get me uh, to vote for him. Now, remember, I don't have the official vote. Right. Um, well, here's the thing. I... <laughs> I have a lot of responses to this email. To begin with, though, this was one of five or six emails we got in the last week hitting on this precise point, trying to kind of second-guess Milwaukee's success and Giannis's success because the Bucks are in the East, which is supposedly this vastly the vastly inferior conference. Oh, it is, but that's it's fine. Like, it, it, it's not vastly inferior, and the Bucks won 60 games. They have the best record in the entire NBA. I would understand kind of like nitpicking the conference strength if the Bucks were at 48 wins or 51 wins even. 60 games is 60 games wherever you are. The Bucks beat the crap out of Western Conference teams too, and Giannis was incredible. And in general... The Rockets fans have just been so annoying about all this yeah, shit. Yeah, you're, you know? you're, like, you're casting a protest vote, aren't you? You're voting for Giannis because you don't like the Rockets fans. <sighs> Dude, the Bucks fans are... If you talk to a Bucks fan about this season, they will be like, look, Giannis is amazing. This season is amazing. I don't even know what's happening here. I can't believe this is real. And then if you talk to the Rockets fans, they will be like, 
The media is ignoring the points per possession data and history is never going to forget this crime against the sport and the integrity of the MVP discussion. And it's just like, chill out, okay? Both of them are great. I understand Rockets fans feel like Harden is kind of being cheated here, but like he won an MVP last season. And if I were a Rockets fan... I would be a lot more invested in him beating the Warriors and him breaking through in the playoffs because that's how he's ultimately going to get all the credit that people think he deserves. And the MVP isn't going to tip the scales one way or the other except potentially make people even more resentful of Harden when he inevitably fails in the playoffs. So if I were a Rockets fan, I just would not be this worked up. I mean, either way, Harden is going to be... He's going to have, I think, four or five straight top three finishes in MVP voting. Like, history is going to look kindly on what he's accomplishing, at least as it relates to the regular season. And the MVP here is not going to make or break anything for him. A lot of heaters in there. You know, I I instinctively want to defend his playoff resume, but I'm just going to kind of let that one slide. (laughs) Rockets fans out there realize I'm, you know, a much much bigger advocate of uh, Harden's performance in the postseason than Andrew is. But I think... If your basic case is the incredible scoring, the incredible load, and the fact that he carried his team uh, through all this adversity, I mean, they need to be winning more games than the Portland Trailblazers, right? I mean, can't you just make a pretty similar case? Now, not as historic, incredible scoring for Damian Lillard, but some of the leadership and like, you know, putting everybody on my back and that stuff, that ca- that case can be made for other types of players. Again, if Houston was winning 60 games uh, or they were maxing out what we believe their preseason potential was, I would be more open to that argument. To me, Houston underperformed this season. They've got more talent than a 53-win team, especially when Harden is playing this well. They scraped by at mm-hmm. times. They, they took you know a month off early, and those penalties should matter. And his scoring run was spectacular no one's taking that away from him but there's more to basketball than just putting the ball in the hoop there just is yeah well and going from 14th place to fourth place they finished fourth they were in third had a very good chance at finishing second like that's impressive it's also not quite as crazy as it sounds like i sat in dan tony's office and he said you know we're not concerned we weren't concerned the west teams were clustered pretty close together we're only a couple games out of the top half of the West, even when it was bad. And so, like, the it's not quite as dramatic as it sounds when you lay out that 14th place argument. He has been out, like, he's been unbelievable, though. <laughs> like, and no one's taking it away from him that over the final six months, six months of the season, he was lights out in a way that we've never really seen one offensive player B and he carried that team. I disagree with you. I think that there were a lot of reasons the Rockets should have regressed this season and they didn't because of Harden. But Giannis was even better for longer and the Bucks are a better team and Giannis like I think Harden wins MVP with this season probably 80% of the time and Giannis yeah, has just I, been too good I'd, to take it I'd him. say more than 80 there's no doubt because of just the crazy level of the scoring that he got to and usually that's enough to carry the day I just don't think that's going to happen this year I think it's going to be Giannis's award I think that will be justified to me this is the closest MVP race by the way I'm not trying to denigrate Harden this is the closest MVP race that I can remember I think it was closer than um, Harden versus Westbrook. I mean, I think the voters like you got that one wrong a couple years ago. Um, and I think Harden's case is better this year 
uh, than it was that year. And I think he's, you know, even though he's going to lose probably both times, I think he has uh, a right to feel aggrieved in both of them. But uh, I think he needs to respect, and and Harden's fanatics need to respect uh, exactly what Giannis and the Bucks were able to accomplish this season. Yeah, and I, and I said this a couple weeks ago when we talked about it. I think in some ways this is an, an inversion of the 2017 MVP race, except that both cases now are much stronger than they were then because Harden is a version of Westbrook that is efficient and significantly less counterproductive than Westbrook's offensive season was, um, or at least less complicated because Westbrook was still incredible. But like the, the Rockets have the second best offense in the league with Harden playing this way, and that's amazing. But um, but Giannis is like a version of Harden in that debate with a much better team than the 2017 Rockets, and um, and he's great on defense, and like he's the most dominant player in the NBA, at least as far as the regular season was concerned. And then you can start talking about Steph and Durant and what they're going to do in the playoffs. But like Giannis is on another level. So um, anyways, I understand why Rockets fans might be pissed off. I'm mostly just messing around with them, but uh, I'm excited to move past the MVP debate as we head head toward the playoffs now. Yeah. And act like you've been there before too, Rockets fans. Come on now. Like I realize that's kind of what I don't understand. Like if my guy won an MVP, I'd be like, whatever, man, let's go do, let's go win in the playoffs. Like we all know that you guys screwed up 2017. Like there's no doubt, but like we've moved on, you know, the, the story continues. Harden's chapter continues. Uh, I mean, if he beats the Warriors somehow, that will be so much more important than winning a second MVP, right? I mean, not only for his legacy, uh, but just in terms of like the basketball, like bringing down a super team single-handedly will be worth three MVP trophies. I mean, not really, but you know, you kind of get the idea of where I'm going there. Um, And if he were to win a title this season- It's kind of like a loser's mentality to just harp on the MVP award as if that's the important thing in Houston this season. Very well said. They've been here before. He's won one before. Uh, he deserves to have people uh, supporting him passionately, but I do think they needed to tone it down about thirty percent. I think it got a little, <laughs> a little too fierce there, you know. But maybe that's just the nature of social media these days, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it's all in the game. Um, I'm excited for the Houston postseason and uh, moving. Oh yeah, on. you sound real excited. I'm sure you are. <laughs> Stop lying, Andrew. God. I'm excited for my own reasons, okay? Maybe some of my claims will be validated as we go here. But uh, moving on to Dave, he says, Okay, I was willing to say Anthony Davis was not the villain all season long and that he was getting really bad advice and being manipulated by some of the people around him, etc., etc. But then he walks into his home arena for the last game he'll ever play and sit in front of for the lovely people of New Orleans, and he's wearing a That's All Folks t-shirt? Are you kidding me? So, Ben, what was Grandpa Golliver's reaction to Anthony Davis's fashion choice in New Orleans this week? Well, I'm right there with Dave, to be honest. And let me say this just as backstory. You remember during All-Star Weekend, I wrote a piece that was pretty critical of Anthony Davis. I essentially said he had lost control of his career because of all the nonsense he was spewing at the podium. And like, it was just clear, like he was no, you know, the GM had just been fired, Dell Demps. And like, it was just clear, like he was not cut out for the situation he was in. And uh-huh. he came back like a week or two later and he went on the shop 
And he was talking about how he had mastered this control. Like he had finally taken control of his life. And I was just thinking there like, did I miss this? You know, I'm like, I'm watching it very intently. And I'm hearing him say these words. And I was like, I'm pretty sure that he has no control over anything right now. But now he's trying to tell me that he's got all of this control. And it really like forced me to rethink like every aspect of my uh, argument. But then fast forward to the last game of New Orleans season and he wears the That's All Folks t-shirt. But then the very next day, he comes out and says, oh, I don't pick my clothes. Somebody else does that for me. So now I'm thinking, okay, you've taken control of your entire career, but you can't even dress yourself. Got it, Anthony. Sounds great. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> You're a real mogul. You figured the whole thing out. To me, it was the single most ridiculous thing I've seen all season besides what Jimmy Butler did to get himself out of Minnesota. Uh, I thought that, you know, Butler's behavior, because it played out over the course of multiple weeks and was so public and uh, it, it was premeditated, premeditated, you know? all of it. I thought that was really despicable <laughs> by Jimmy. He went too far. Really weighs against him in the court of Ben Golliver. It does. And, you know, I, I'm a fan of his game, but I was not a fan of those actions. I mean, Anthony, come on, man. You're flipping. I'm not really a fan of Jimmy Butler's game. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, yeah, that's fine. Anthony flips off a fan. Uh, he, he conducts himself, I mean, just so ridiculous these last two months. To finish it off like that, I'm sure he thought it was really funny. I'm sure his group text was popping with the LOLs and the crying emojis. Anthony, it's not funny, man. You've lost control of your career. It's gone down a dark path. You have sabotaged your likability. And I know Andrew is just anxious six months from now to try to talk me back into Anthony Davis and, oh, he's this incredible talent. The Celtics are going to be mm -hmm. able to resuscitate him and all of that. I don't want any part yep. of it, Andrew. I'm out on Anthony Davis. Banner 18 on the way. Uh, Anthony Davis and Kyrie next year, June 2020. Um, I don't know. Do they have 18 or 19 or 17? I forget what it is. Um, but as far as Yeah, you're used to counting to concerned. one in Washington. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as far as you're concerned and everything you just said, I agree with most of it except... The phrase, I'm sure he thought it was funny and the group chat was popping, LOL. <laughs> you did sound like 80 years old for that five-second uh, interval. Well, you and these other but... millennials are always subjecting me to your group chats, you know, these inside jokes and thinking everything's so funny when, you know, it's really about half as funny as you think it is. I'm just picturing the same thing happening on Anthony Davis's scale. Hey, I got a Looney Tunes t-shirt, guys. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> well, you also... Speaking of millennials, you made a Lil Nas X joke at the top or reference, I guess. I don't know who that person is. And Old Town Road is, I guess, the number one song in America. It all makes me feel very alienated from um, contemporary culture right now. I feel like I'm like officially not cool. Haven't been cool for five or six years now, but like it's really getting very real now well the good thing is all you have to do is touch one button on your phone you can download the song and you're going to be right back in the game okay it's not that difficult if only see okay. if only it was that easy for anthony because there's no magic button here for anthony <laughs> davis <laughs> the problem with downloading the song and listening to it is that i imagine what will happen is that i'm going to listen to it and it's going to be awful and then I'm gonna be like, this is what's popular. And then I'm really old. So I don't want to do that. I'm just going to continue through life oblivious to, be, to Lil Nas X. To be honest, Andrew, just load up me against the world, Tupac. It's all you need. Like this other exactly. stuff. That really we're is. Good. Look, hip hop from 1993 to about 2007 is all I will ever need. Um, but as far as Anthony Davis is concerned, 
let me say this. I am really excited to talk myself back into his game. I'm a big believer in him uh, next season. But stuff like this makes it so hard. And stuff like his appearance on the shop, like that was pretty rough as well. And Let I me ask do you, believe that blank. a stylist picked it out for him. Yeah. What? I believe a stylist picked it out for him too. But it's the symbolic nature of not taking responsibility is what I'm trying to get at here. It's also like, look, if a stylist picked out my outfits every night, there would definitely be some nights when I saw the choices and said, eh, I'm not really feeling that. Like, I don't really understand what we're going for here. And particularly if I was in the NBA and I had a stylist, like, taking chances here and there. So there has to be some kind of vetting process that Anthony Davis he wanted did to, not... He wanted to wear this shirt. Come on, let's not even, like, dive into exactly. this. He wanted to wear this shirt. Now, let me ask you point blank. Who is cornier right now, Kevin Durant, Anthony Davis? Because I think you give KD way too much... Uh, grief for how he handles himself. And I think Anthony Davis has actually done some stuff here to deserve your grief, but I know you never give him really any sincere grief. So who, who is cornier? Who do you think? KD or AD? No, there's no question that AD is cornier. I am not that hard on KD except for kind of like presenting both sides on this podcast. I'm not like a war criminal as it relates to Kevin Durant. However, Anthony Davis is in is on a whole other plane of corniness <laughs> right now from anyone else in the NBA because like if you wear the shirt you got to own it and then he's just sitting there with Pelicans reporters hemming and hawing in this 15 second clip and it's like I don't know it actually made me feel bad for him because I don't think he's particularly well suited to the platform that he's going to be on as all this stuff kind of hits another gear this summer. Very um, well he's, said. He's lost control. And that was my original point. And I feel totally vindicated in that column because I was pretty hard on him. He's lost control. I mean, that's that's how I look yeah. at it. He, he doesn't have that rope anymore. Yeah, it's a bummer. Um, but I still will talk myself into him wherever he ends up next year. Hey, and, uh, you know what I was... Speaking of your Celtics... I'm not the biggest Danny Ainge guy, you know, but him starting a press conference pretending to resign and then just saying he was just kidding. <laughs> that is one of the funniest things that I have ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> it's pretty great. I like Danny Ainge because he will kind of stick it to the Lakers whatever he can and just screw with people. Uh, even whenever he's on the radio, like he, he plays fast and loose with the media and um, I, I appreciate him for it. So, uh, by the way, as far as Anthony Davis trade destinations, I did start to think earlier today, if the Wizards were to get Zion, and this is how sick my brain is, but if they were to get Zion, could they potentially trade Wall and Zion to New Orleans for Anthony Davis and try to pair Anthony Davis and Bradley Beal and own the next five or six years that way in the East. Wow. Um, so you're actually thinking Anthony Davis is going to resign in that scenario? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I was thinking, all right, so you have to have a sit down with Rich Paul and kind of gauge where his head's at. And Rich Paul also represents LeBron, uh, represents John Wall. So potentially you keep John Wall and in exchange for keeping John Wall, Rich Paul agrees to have Anthony Davis re-sign in D.C. 
I don't know. There's a, a lot of balls in the air with this little hypothetical, but um, it's it's on my mind. Don't see it, Andrew. Don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for that uh, c- concise reality check there. Um, last question here from Chris. He says, hey, guys, I have been a loyal listener since the early days of the podcast, and I've always enjoyed the often hilarious way Andrew gives Ben crap for his random sayings and beliefs. I usually listen to the podcast in the house while I'm doing other things, so my daughter ends up listening to it as well. This weekend, after my 8-year-old Amelia lost her soccer game to a team they should have beaten, I asked her what she thought had gone wrong. Without missing a beat, she said, Well, Dad, I think we played with purpose, but not a purpose today. I immediately laughed out loud and told her that was the best answer she ever could have given, even though she, like Andrew, doesn't really know what it means. Thank you for the great content, and hopefully I am grooming a new Open Floor Globe member. Uh, So how do you feel, Ben? Poisoning the youth. Poor eight-year-old Amelia is growing up saying this nonsense phrase that means absolutely nothing. First of all, I hear Chris has been nominated Father of the Year. I believe that's true. (laughs) Um, We're still waiting to hear from the committee. Uh, Phenomenal work. Hilarious email. Really brightened my day. Honestly, made my week. You know what's funny, though? I was talking to my friend Tom. He's a writer. Uh, he, and he listens, Andrew, and he does the same thing. He listens uh, either in the car or at home to the podcast. And his young son, who doesn't know anything about sports, uh, will uh-huh. listen along as well. And last week, his young son asked uh, his dad, my friend Tom, if he'd ever been to my house. And Tom was like, no, why? And he wanted to know whether I actually had gold-leafed pictures of Tim Duncan in my bathroom. <laughs> Because apparently my friend Tom's mother has all sorts of gold-leafed art around their apartment. So the son was hoping maybe like I would have something in common with their family and maybe one day he'd be able to come check it out. You know, my, my incredible tribute art to uh, Tim Duncan. So I've got to say, there is a, we talk about the Yanish generation. We've, yeah. we've got the open floor generation budding here, Andrew. I mean, we hell yeah, man. Open floors for the kids. We got Amelia joining the globe. We got Tom's son. We got Elizabeth, who's still in high school somewhere. You know, we're doing it for everybody. And, it's a big tent. And, and here's <laughs> the thing. I hate to fact check this email because it was so great. But Chris, I'm sorry to tell you, Amelia gets it. Okay. She understands what playing with purpose and playing with a purpose means. Just like Andrew gets it, okay? Andrew plays dumb because he thinks it's funny, but your daughter is smart enough to understand what is going to translate to winning soccer. And honestly, uh, I think she might win daughter of the year before you win father of the year because (laughs) she's subscribing so carefully to the mantras, Andrew. But look, if you've got emails like Chris, send them to openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. They should check us out on Apple Podcasts as well, Andrew, because we're on there. Our page is open floor. Find that, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. We really help you spreading the word. Now is a great time to do it because the playoffs are starting. Lots of people are hopping on the bandwagon. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. Hey, Andrew, I'm going to spend all weekend watching basketball, clipping press conferences, doing all the fun stuff that I always do. And I'm going to double bag with you next week. So until next week, when we're going to have all sorts of playoff game one action to discuss, I will talk to you. All right, man. Take it easy.